0: Coming up next on Contemplate.
1: The church is the very last place on earth where a woman should be harmed in any way, emotionally, physically, anything else. It should be the place where women are receiving the most honor and the most love in their their life is when they step into the midst of the people of God. Because we're the only ones... We're the only ones with a worldview that specifically, directly, and unequivocally says that men and women are equal in value. There is no other worldview that consistently bears that out.
0: That was Pastor David Robinson from Axe Church in Camas, Washington, and this is Contemplate. I'm Ron Hagelgans. Thanks for being here as we bring you Part 7 in our podcast series, Contentment in Christ. As you can tell by just that short preview, we're in for a powerful lesson today as Pastor David teaches us about how God values men and women equally. No favorites, neither better or worse, but both made in the image of God. We'll be in Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 14 today, talking about Lydia. Here's Pastor David with today's lesson recorded live at Acts Church.
1: It says that she was a worshiper of God, right? She worshiped God, which means she probably was not Jewish. It's a Gentile name. She's not from Jerusalem. She's from another place, and she was a God worshiper. She's probably a God-fearer. We've talked about what that means. We've talked about the difference between being a Jewish person, born Jewish, being a proselyte, which is you're not born Jewish, but you take on the the religion, and you go through the whole process. For men, it can be a painful one. We've talked about that. I'm not going to go into it. Um, We don't see here that she's a proselyte, although she could be, but somehow, probably back where she's from in Thyatira, she was introduced to Judaism. And she saw the truth of the one true God and became a God worshiper, a God-fearer, most likely. Um, And so she is now here in this other place, in Philippi, and she's with these other women worshiping God, praying to God. They're at basically a prayer meeting. It says that Lydia heard them. She heard them, which means she was listening. Why? This is someone who's come from a completely different culture to become a God-fearer, to believe in the one true God, to a monotheistic religion, would have been very different. So she's a truth seeker. She's after it. These guys come and they start talking and Paul starts talking and she's listening. She heard them. And it says, the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. So there's more than one thing going on here. You have Lydia, who's a truth seeker. You have Paul, who's preaching the gospel, which Paul is known to do. But then you have the Lord at work, right? The Lord is is there, and he's he's drawing Lydia to himself. He's opening her heart to listen, to heed what's being said. This is a smart woman. She's financially successful. We know that. She's a businesswoman. She's selling purple. And she's a truth seeker. She's a truth seeker. Now, here's the deal. Sometimes when you're talking about the Lord or the things of the Lord, or just truth in general... You're around people who don't hear you. They don't listen to you. They don't want to listen to you. Um, Paul preached to a lot of people. You've you've already seen that. He's preached to a lot of people. And not all of them heard him, and not all of them heeded him. And what we have to realize, because we also speak to people, part of our our calling as believers, right, is to go out and make disciples for Christ, is that sometimes we're going to speak and we're going to speak truth. And we might speak it well. And we might speak it powerfully. But if God is not opening that heart, you're not, the, the gospel's not getting in. None of us came to the Lord just on our own because we're so great. The Lord has to be at work in the heart of the person. And so rather than get discouraged, which I, it can be easy to do, You know, I talk a lot (laughs) up here and sometimes I can get discouraged if, if there's somebody, I just really, I just really want them to understand this thing, but that's not how it works. It doesn't work that way for me. It doesn't work that way for you. And it doesn't work that way for anybody else. God has to be at work. All Paul is responsible to do here is to preach the gospel. That's it. He's responsible to go where God's called him and preach the gospel. It's God that brings the increase. It's the Lord that works on the heart. And here he's working on the heart of Lydia. And she becomes a Christ follower. She is the first person that we read about in Europe, which is where he is now, um, that becomes a Christ follower. Okay? This woman is the first European Christ follower that we know of. Okay? Maybe this man in the vision was a real dude, and there were other Christ followers there. We don't know that, though. This is the first one Scripture tells us about in this area. So Paul and his companions were faithful to wait They didn't run ahead of the Lord when they wanted to go to Asia, when they wanted to go to Bithynia. They waited. They got the call. Then they went to Macedonia. Then they were faithful to wait again. And they just waited until the Lord put the opportunity there. And then the Lord worked in the heart of Lydia so that they got to have the benefit. They got to have the benefit of seeing someone come to the Lord, which was an amazing thing. Let's look at the next verse. This is verse 15. And when she and her household were baptized she begged us saying if you have judged me to be faithful to the lord come to my house and stay so she persuaded us after lydia becomes a christ follower her whole household becomes christ followers so paul got the opportunity paul and these guys got the opportunity to, to preach the gospel to all of them they all became christ followers and they got baptized Okay, that's an act of obedience. If If you're not familiar with baptism, it's an act of obedience that we do to identify ourselves with Christ, to say to the world, we're a Christ follower. After we become a Christ follower, this is something we do. And so that's what they did. It would have been immersion baptism. They baptized them, and then she says, hey, come stay with me. She doesn't just say that. She begs them. She persuades them to come stay with her. I don't know if it was difficult, As you may recall from from earlier chapters, there was a real issue for Jewish men to go into the house, to go into the house of a Gentile, period. Okay, it would have been the type of thing that would have been the talk around town to even go into a Gentile's home. But we know that these guys would have, certainly Paul, would have felt completely free to do so. I don't know about Silas. I don't know about Timothy. Because the council of Jerusalem has come and said, hey, you don't need to worry about all that anymore. A Christ follower is a Christ follower. There's no judgment about Gentile versus Jew. We're all one in Christ. That's, that's, the, that's what's come out. But I don't know whether it's sunk in yet. So I don't know how much persuading she had to do. Okay, just because you have the freedom to do something doesn't always get you past your scruples. Or you're feeling that ah yeah, I know I'm allowed to, but it still doesn't feel right. You've got to understand culturally, culturally the idea of Jewish men going and staying in the home of a Gentile woman would have been unthinkable, unthinkable prior to the gospel, prior to the gospel. So she does persuade them and they stay with her. Now, what can we take from this section? Um, we can take a lot. We can take a lot. We see the faithfulness. Of Paul, Timothy, Silas, and Luke. Like I say, patience, waiting, knowing, hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit. Clearly knowing, don't go here, don't go here, wait, go here. And then wait and all that. And then seeing the fruit of that, Lydia and her household, the first Europeans to get saved. Okay, so we see that. And we see God is faithful to them. And God will be faithful to us when we listen When we're quiet, when we seek the Holy Spirit, and He gives us a direction, and we listen, and we're faithful, and we wait, and we're patient, He's gonna be faithful. He's gonna be faithful in what He does, what He allows us to be a part of. But we see something else too. We see this woman, we see this woman, this faithful woman, become a Christ follower. And we see God's love once again as we see over and over and over again in Scripture. We see God's love for women and for faithful women of God. And, you know, it was women who were at the prayer meeting. It wasn't the men who were there, as far as we can see. It was a woman who first became a Christ follower in this this story. And so I want to talk for a second about God's love for women. And... This is not just for the women, who it's definitely for. I specifically really want the men in the room to listen. Because we have some issues. We have some issues. I'm not saying us specifically in this church. I hope not. But we have some issues as a culture. And have had issues for as long as human beings have existed. We've had issues. And so um, we have this history. This unfortunate, evil history of treating women as though they were less than, as though they were less than, less than men, less important than men, and so on. But Scripture could not be more clear about the value and the importance of women right from the very beginning of Scripture. Let's look at Genesis 1. Okay, This is verses 26 to 28. It says, Men and women, male and female, were created in the image of God. Not men were created in the image of God and women were something else. Male and female were created in the image and likeness of God. That means everything that's valuable and important and honorable and awesome about being male or female, all of those things are contained in the image and likeness of God. All of them. All of them. That's all from God. Everything good about maleness and femaleness is wrapped up in the image of likeness of God. There is no one's better, one's worse, one's more important, one's more valuable. That doesn't exist. That doesn't exist. We have, we've come a long way in some ways, and in other ways we haven't. Um, No gender has a value above any other gender. Male over female, female over male. And yet we struggle. We struggle with this. We struggle with the value and the importance, sometimes of our own gender, sometimes of the the other gender. We struggle with that. Men have used the fact that they're physically, normally, there are some definite exceptions, but they're physically stronger than women on average. They've used that fact throughout history to dominate women, to abuse women, to harm women. We're now in a society that protects women from some of those forms of abuse by men. We have laws against some of that stuff. But there's no laws against one thing. And you couldn't enforce them if there was. There's no laws against what's inside your heart. There's no laws against what's inside your heart. It is specifically the job of the church, of Acts Church, Of Every church that proclaims the name of Jesus Christ is specifically our job, that's you and me, to speak truthfully and in love about the value and the importance of both men and women. The church is the very last place on earth where a woman should be harmed in any way, emotionally, physically, anything else. It should be the place where women are receiving the most honor And the most love in their their life is when they step into the midst of the people of God. Because we're the only ones. We're the only ones with a worldview that specifically, directly, and unequivocally says that men and women are equal in value. There is no other worldview that consistently bears that out. If you want to look through some of the other religious systems, you'll see something very different in a lot of them. But Christianity is not like that. That means that we, all of us, men and women, have to take very seriously the duty to comb through our prejudices. That means we've got to take that, that worldview, got to take those glasses off, and we've got to comb through our prejudices and see, see if there's any thought in our, in our heart that we need to take captive about what we feel about ourselves or about other people. And I want you to think about it. I want you to, as we, as we kind of work through this, I want you to think this in your own mind, and I want you to be completely honest. Only you and God will know what you're thinking. Is there any, I'm talking to both men and women. Is there anything in your mind that makes you feel, or any thought that you have, or any way that you feel like women are less value than, valuable than men? Anything in your mind, anything in your heart? If there's not, that's awesome because everything in our culture for thousands of years has fought to try to make you, whether you're a man or a woman, try to make you feel that in some way or another that that's true. I have, I have a lot to say on this subject and we don't have time for me to go through all of it. So I, I wanna, I'm going to concentrate on just one issue for now. We'll get another one of these messages later, I'm sure. But I want to I concentrate on one way in which women are devalued in our society, which, which we as the church must fight against, which we as the church must fight against in our own lives, and we as the church must fight against in the culture at large. That's objectification. Objectification. Now, what does it mean to objectify a person? It basically means you take away a person's humanity and you use them as a thing as a means to an end rather than seeing them as a human made in the image and likeness of God. It means you use them as a thing. Now, you can objectify anyone. It doesn't have to be male, female, anything like that. You do it every single time that you lie or you cheat or you steal. You do it every single time that you give way to your anger and you don't think about someone else's situation. Every time that you're selfish, all those times, you're usually engaged in some form of using another person as a means to an end. Okay, so objectification can happen in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways. But there's a particular way that we objectify women in our culture. We, without saying it, and sometimes with saying it, sometimes with saying it, we make people believe, or we try to make women believe, as a culture, I'm not saying anybody in this room, as a culture, we try to make people believe, women believe, that they're only as valuable as the way that their bodies look. That all of their value is wrapped up in there. And it does not just affect the men who take these actions and objectify women. It also affects women themselves who often come to believe it. They often come to believe that it's true and it leads to all kinds of horrific evil. And I'm not going to go through all the ways that it happens, okay? And all the ways that we objectify women and all the the ways that we make people feel that way. I will say this. I'll take an easy one. An easy one. Men... If you're saying to yourself or to your buddy, when you look at some woman, hey, she's so hot, and what you're thinking in your mind is related to her, her anatomy and her sexual attractiveness, you've just made her a thing. You've made that person, that human being, made in the image of likeness of God, an object, a thing. That's what you've made her. I know that some people think, well, if I'm not doing this thing way out here that objectifies women, then I'm, it's really Okay. I can look but not touch. I can think. I can lust in my mind. I can do all that kind of stuff. No. When you do that, you've just consumed the humanity of that person. You've consumed a human being, someone made in the image and likeness of God. You have treated that woman, that person, as though she had no humanity. Young women, sometimes even not as young women, if you're desiring to hear those words from men, Something you need to understand about men is that if you're desiring to hear those words for those reasons, you're desiring to be objectified. Don't. (laughs) You're not an object. You're a valuable human being made in the image and likeness of God. You are worth so much more than whatever we're calling attractiveness these days, which, by the way, changes all the time. Do not allow our culture to convince you that your attractiveness is the most important thing you have to offer. Generally speaking, it's one of the least important things that you have to offer. You have so much more about who you are than that. Don't let culture let you place value of any kind in that. I could, I could go on and on. When I see the way um, that some you know woman's dressed a certain way and these men get these ugly looks, I mean, it just it breaks my heart, honestly. It just breaks my heart. I see these young women. I, you know, I worked in the juvenile system. My wife's a teacher. You know, I've been around, and <laughs> I've been a pastor. Um, I've been around a lot of things, and I can just tell you that when I see these women with eating disorders and anxiety and fear and depression and hopelessness as they try to reach for some physical standard that is impossible so that they can feel valuable, I'm heartbroken. I'm heartbroken by that. When I see the pain that objectification causes, I'm heartbroken. What I want us to understand is that the the place where this has to get fixed, the place where we start the ball rolling is in the church. It's not in some, you know, now you know, you know, uh, public ad campaign by the government. It's not something that they're going to learn at school. It happens here because you're the only ones, you, the church, are the only ones that have a worldview that can explain why attractiveness and so on isn't the only place where value is, or isn't even a place where value is, okay? There's a lot, like I said, there's a lot to say about this. All I, all I have to say, because we're running out of time, is that the thoughts in your heart, God knows. God knows the thoughts in your heart. You're going to be accountable. I have a wife. I have a daughter. I have a mother. I have a sister. I have millions and millions of sisters in Christ. And as someone who's called to to preach the word of God, as someone who's called to speak truth, I'm not going to stand by as long as I have breath. I'm going to continue to speak to anyone who will listen, that we're not going to go along with a culture that wants to turn women into objects. We're not going to do that. Women and men, you need to value, you need to value your femaleness, your maleness as an awesome, amazing gift from God. It's a special gift. It's a special gift. And the one place where you can go back thousands of years and find it talked about as a special gift, as an amazing thing is here. Mary, the mother of God, is this amazing woman. An amazing woman. Lydia from today. This is an incredible woman. Over and over and over again, you can go through and find all these women who God has lifted up. Look at the way that Jesus treated women. Women are awesome. Women are blessed. They're the crown of creation, just like men. As human beings, we are the crown of creation. Listen, your wife is not less than you. Your wife is not less than you. Ladies, women, women. You are not less than a man. You want to look pretty? Fine. Okay? But that's not where any of your value is. That's not where any of your value is. And I know for some of us, it's like, well, yeah, I know this. I know this stuff. My, my thought is that the Holy Spirit wouldn't be leading me to say this unless there's some of us who still don't quite get it. There's some of us who still don't quite get it. In order for us to be the, the voice, the loud voice in society and culture that's saying, listen, We're going to value everybody. We're going to look at everybody and respect and honor everybody because they're made in the image and likeness of God. We have to have it right in our own minds and in our own hearts. And so I'm asking us to think about that today. And here's something else that's important, just a little side note. Valuing women is not done by some cheap act of chivalry where you treat women well or with respect, but sort of like, you know, patting them on the head. Sort of like, yeah, it's because they're weaker. That's, that's not respecting women. It's not. I don't know if, if any of you, when you were a kid and maybe you're coming into that age of, of uh, growing up and wanting to be taken more seriously, and you could tell when someone was sort of pandering to you, sort of patting you on the head, women aren't stupid. If you're respecting them by treating them with respect in a way that's arrogant in your heart, they can sense it. And those those cuts can be deep too. Those cuts can be deep too. All right. I don't have time for the rest of what I wanted to say today. Let me just say this. I love you, men and women. I love this church. And I know that God has called us to speak this message loud and clear. Everywhere we go and everything we do, we need to be the ones who are treating women well. And it starts here. For both men and women, women, value yourself as the awesome, amazing, talented, intelligent, incredible women of God that he's made you to be. And men, you do the same thing. Recognize it. Recognize it. Okay? Lydia is this great example for us. It's just a great time to just sit here and think, hey, look at once again, God, we got the women at the tomb. The first people to see Jesus resurrect from the dead were women. God loves women. And it's important to me and to my heart and to the women in my life, all of you women out here are women in my life. And it's important to me for your sake, for my family's sake, for all these teenagers and young people some of whom I represented back when I was practicing law and juvenile court and things like that, and I saw what this did, and I saw what this mindset did. Even people who think that they don't think this way, oftentimes when they check themselves, they do. And so I'm just asking us: just let's check our hearts today. Let's let the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts and make sure that we're valuing everybody, everybody created in the image and likeness of God.
0: You've been listening to Pastor David Robinson from Acts Church in Camas, Washington, with Part 7 in our series, Contentment in Christ, here on Contemplate. That's the kind of teaching that really makes you stop and think, isn't it? About a lot of things. And I'm so thankful for God's truth that helps us understand how He wants us to live in every area of our lives. And once again, here's Pastor
1: David. Thanks, Ron. Let me personally invite you to join us here at Axe Church in Camas, Washington. We have a great group of folks here who love to worship Jesus and to love each other. Come see us this Sunday morning. I just know you'll be blessed. Here's Ron with our contact info.
0: Get directions and all the info you need online at axcamus.org. Again, that's Axe with a C, axcamus.org. Or give us a call at 360 360- 885-9000. That's three six zero eight eight five nine thousand. 9000 Well, that about wraps up our time for today. I'm Ron Hagelgans. Great to have you with us. I do hope to meet you this Sunday and hope you'll be right back here next time for more with Pastor David Robinson here on Contemplate.